Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. I'm DJ Samsex. This is the Hip Hop Raise Me podcast, and I want to wish everybody a happy, great, brand new, fantastic new year. It's 2022. It's the start of a new era, a new chapter, a new way of doing things, a new way of looking at things, everything. We leave the past behind us. We move forward. Now, for this final episode of this chapter of the Hip Hop Raise Me podcast, what I'm going to do is take a look back at some of my favorite episodes, some of the biggest moments, some of the greatest moments. Now, just in case you didn't check out everything, if you haven't been listening weekly, these are glimpses of some of the dopest artists you will ever meet. These, these are glimpses of the conversation. So if you're feeling what you're hearing today in today's episode, just check back, listen to one of these episodes and catch up. So let's get into this right away. Chuck D from Public Enemy, he's my hero. All right. It, it, I'm not going to get into this. Yeah, he's the best rapper and he's this and that and da 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 da. What he has done for humanity is unparalleled. What he does as an artist, as a rapper, the amount of times he's toured around the earth, what his music means, the musical substance which has changed the minds, the hearts of every single one of your favorite rappers at some point. Your favorite rapper has been influenced by someone who's been influenced by Chuck D at some point. One of the greatest rappers alive, ever. This is what happened when I caught up with him. I said to someone recently, and um, I said it to a couple of people, like, I, I don't know any artist today that would have the guts to bring out something like Fight the Power. And when you look back at the video and the fact of what you was doing in the street, you know, it was, it was a protest, you got the science and everything, you know, you had dancers and, and, and again, it's like, it, it's like, it's kind of happening today, you know. What was it like when you took a project like Fear of a Black Planet to a label and was like, this is the concept, this is the artwork, this is what we're saying. I, I don't know how that would go down today. I don't think, I don't know how too many people have my story, Simtex. My story came in is that Rick Rubin chased me down for two years from 1984 with the fledgling new label they started, 85 and then 86 when I finally signed to get me to do records. That's the story. You can't find too many stories like mine. What I had done in radio and what I had done with my voice, with my crew, was, was kind of unprecedented. Rick wanted that to be the piece that all he already had with LL Cool J and the Beastie Boys. I rejected that. First black executive with Def Jam, Bill Stephanie, was a classmate of mine. You know, he went over there and Rick Rubin told Bill, if he doesn't get me to come to Def Jam, he's fired. <laughs> <laughs> the guy, go, the, listen, the guy, the guy that went over to Def Jam before me to build a relationship was Dre, Andre Brown, Dr. Dre. Not the West Coast Dr. Dre, yeah. all, the Yo MTV yeah. Raps East Coast Dr. Dre, the, the mm -hmm. inventor of the 808 kick in Miami bass and then hip hop records still used to today. You know, Dre mm -hmm. helped invent that out of the rolling. It was, yeah, on, the, yeah. it was on the machine, but he used it showing Rick, who used it the first time it was heard, it was on Together Forever by Run DMC. Boom, boom, and I say boom. I remember the first day he came in and showed, you know, Keith Shockley, you know, what he was going to do with this rolling machine, and, and he made 
subsequent singles for Def Jam, Can You Feel It, Acknowledge Me, and then Pump That Bass. Many people forgot or never knew this, this fact. But he went over there to Def Jam, and Rick Rubin tried to get me to come over and say, why don't you just rhyme with original concept? I was like, nah, we got our own Spectrum City thing. It was cool. Mm. So, so Rick was in pursuit of me. Once we agreed to be with the Def Jam situation, it was like, I'll go there, if, you know, but I got to give you what I give you. And I can't be, have anything tampered with. And that was the understanding. Mm. Well, the record deal financially wasn't, wasn't, <laughs> wasn't crap, but, but at least artistically and culturally, I said, yeah, I'm going to make very weird, obtuse displays. <laughs> at least I wanted to. I have a team. They might think differently, but this is what I'm, I'm you know, I was known for the person that would take, you know, the wildest track and rhyme to it. So it wasn't nothing that, that was based on whether you could feel it or not. I'm just going to get, I mean, Public Enemy number one, and just think about 1984, how weird that was. Even in night. Even in 2020, it's like, huh? In 1984, mm. it was totally weird. And the, the beginning of that came from when DJs used to spin blow your head in the roller rink with that, and Roosevelt roller rink, they couldn't hold the break. There was nothing right. to extend the break. And in my mind, for years, I was like, if only that break could extend. But my weird yeah. way of what moved me was rather punkish in a way. And I said, that's something I could make if I ever got the rhyme on that, it's something that my girlfriend wouldn't like. And I said, the minute you know that she likes a record or something that I do, the minute that she likes it, that means it's time for me to not do it no more because mm. I'm trying to make something that she hate. And that's where Public Enemy Number One <laughs> comes out of that. I mean, running. I mean, it, right. it would just it would drive a person crazy. And I love that. I love yeah. that you drive around the car and blast, you know, just blast noise. That's where the noise yeah. aspect comes. So long story short, Simtex, is thing, the thing is, it's like there was no way that somebody had my story to come in doing what I wanted to do because I realized that the importance of hip-hop was more than popularity. Mm. And even when we revisited Def Jam this time around, the point for me, I said, okay, Flavor, we're going to, we're going to stop at Def Jam, do something major league, not independent. But Def Jam had to know that. I asked him a question. At what point to y'all is importance rival or greater than popularity? Because mm. you best to believe you go down to Sony and you, if you go in that building and want to walk into that vault with Bob Dylan tapes, man, they won't just call the cops on you. They'll, they'll probably take your head off. <laughs> and Bob Dylan ain't he? Bob Dylan's songs don't rise up charts like you know, like mm. you know, hardly ever. Mm. They were groundbreaking. They were they're important to that building. So, Public Enemy with Def Jam is important to that building. Not popular. Yeah. Doesn't have to be popular. Mm. So, when everybody says, "I don't know if this could ever take place," like "Fight the Power" could ever take place now, probably not. I mean, got to know where you know what what is the alpha in it. And that's why it was full circle making Public Enemy number one right. uh, on the album. Uh, to me, that was the joy of, of this piece, uh, what you're going to do when the grid goes down. Oh, there's a lot of joys because it's a help from a lot of friends. But I passed the tape for a WBAU promo to Dre, mm. who's doing his radio show over the lap of Jam Master J, who puts it in, and then the Beastie Boys, MCA, I had Rock, Mike D, 
Run, DMC and J, Hurricane, take it, Davy D, take it on their tours. Wow. Asking me to come in and record and be part of that thing at Def Jam. Without Public Enemy, number one, you don't have Chuck D, Public Enemy, and also uh, our thing with, uh, with Def Jam. So that's why mm. I'm coming full circle, asking the surviving members of Run, DMC, Run and DMC, and them being excited about it. Mm. Um, Mike D and Ad Rock, and also paying homage to um, MCA, Jam Master mm -hmm. J, and LL Cool J, um, and having Terminator Scratch on it as well as DJ Lord, it was full circle for me and it, and it felt great. And mm -hmm. I just think sometimes in hip hop we do things that mean something and nothing personally means more in my writing of, of Public Enemy songs and Public Enemy number one. And, and having Flavor do the first verse of it is perfect. Gotta give a big shout to Chuck D. Now listen, I don't just interview artists. I don't just interview DJs. I don't just interview producers. Look, I, I, I talk to people who are making things happen in the culture. And there's two guys, Jeff and Eric. They call themselves It's The Real. They're known worldwide as It's The Real. The two of the funniest guys you will ever meet. I don't know whether to describe them as artists, podcasters. <laughs> I don't know. They do so much, but these guys are dope. They're very, very cool. They're very, very funny. And they got a read on hip hop that is unrivaled. So this is what happened when I caught up with It's The Real. The Locks is one of the hardest rap groups ever. Like Jada Kiss, you know, one of the greatest lyricists. Styles P, you know, one of the greatest lyricists is insane. What they do as a group, what they mean to hip hop. They came up with one of the, the sickest collectives ever of all time. And they've done some amazing things individually and as a group. How, how are you guys friends? <laughs> it's so crazy like every single time that Jadakiss says my name I'm always just like that's so wild that like you even know who I am what happened was we interviewed Jadakiss down in um in Orlando for NBA All-Star Weekend back in like 2012 and he didn't know anything about us um we were in his hotel room it was the two of us it was our camera guys and then it was uh, all of his friends. So it's like, you know, it was a crowded room. It was maybe like 10 of his friends. And we, you know, got into our positions or whatever to do this interview. And Jada Kiss got in his. And Eric immediately starts. Yeah, we do our AKAs where we yell at the camera. And, you know, it's, it's a very creative nickname that we do differently every single time. I do mine. Jeff does his. We stick the microphones in Jada Kiss's face. And he says, uh, it's Jada Kiss or whatever. Ever. And then we start firing gunshots, yeah. right? So it was a lot of like energy. And he was just like, like all of his friends exploded in laughter. It was just like, it was, it, it really like fucked up the take, like all the, all the noise in the room. And so we had to do it again. But like, after we did the interview, we had to, um, Jada was just like, well, first of all, we had to take uh, pictures with everyone, obviously. And, you know, we ended up being like, you know, Mickey Mouse and Goofy at like Disney World or something like that, just taking pictures with all these people. But, um, Jada was like, we got it. We got to work on more stuff. And it's a friendship that continued. But really, when we got to know Styles and then when we had all the guys over um, for the podcast to do a regular conversation about like their journey and their path and their life, this idea spawned to do this podcast together called Two Jews and Two Black Dudes Review the Movies. Jadakiss was in the room. He was just asleep off an edible. 
So um, Chic and- And then he would wake up every once in a while and start singing new edition songs. <laughs> so like Jada was like there, but not. Right. But Styles was like, we're gonna call it two Jews and two black dudes review the movies. And um, it, it, you know, the more the more you do it, the more you hang out with, well, with everyone. Before that, like, it's an idea that just like could have been just an idea. But like the fact that we actually did it, like we 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 hit up the guys. We were like, hey, like let's come up to the Lock Studio in Yonkers and let's watch uh, or let's talk about like what's on Netflix for an hour, and that it went so well. And this was like maybe like you know a month after coming up with the idea itself. Um, I just think it's it's sort of dope to to act on an idea, act on a whim and like make something happen. And you know them, they are as authentic as, as they come, you know? And so when you have, you know, there's no, there's no guard to be let down. They're not like acting as something they're not. We're just all talking about movies, talking about real life. And it's something, again, that podcast continues into real life where they don't have a group text on the phone without us, which is wild. You know, we all text each other, we send pictures and we laugh at things and, you know, we show up to support each other at different events. And I think there's a genuine love there and respect. And yeah, it's as, as strange to us as I'm sure it is to them, but it's, it's just very, very, very unique and cool. Yeah, I mean like watching Coco with- uh, The Pixar the movie. The Pixar movie, the animated movie. Like with Jada Kiss, especially Jada had never seen a, a, a Pixar movie before. And so like we're watching that and like watching it through his eyes was like super weird. By the way. But like it's a, but it's also just like in, you know, of course, this is my life. And you Sam, know? Sam, you'll get a kick out of this. Um, we, we had uh, we had agents. We were at uh, William Morris at the time. And, you know, when you come up with a good idea and people who you think are smart just do not get it. They, they look at you like you're just an alien or something like that. We told them two Jews and two black dudes, it's going to be revolutionary and explain this whole thing. And they were like, we don't see it. We don't get it. And mm. luckily we left them, we fired them and moved on with our lives. And this thing, I mean, when we announced two Jews and two black dudes, we went down to Atlanta, we got off the plane and I'm not even joking. Like the moment we touched that ground, we were inundated with like people who were like, Oh my God, that's the greatest idea we've ever heard. And it just continues from there. So if we learned anything, it's just like your instincts are usually right. Keep going with something that feels good and you'll be all right. You know? Hey, shout out to Jeff and Eric. It's the real. I'm DJ Semtex. This is the Hip Hop Raise Me podcast. Final episode of this season. I've done 52 episodes. This is the 52nd. Starting the year the right way. Looking back at some of the greatest moments. Now, like I said before, I, I don't just interview rappers. There's one person that I really wanted to speak to this season and he's an executive, he's he's a manager who works with one of the dopest artists who is coming through, who's responsible for finding him and putting him on and, you know, rest in peace Pop Smoke. Very, very great artist. Very, very dope artist. I wanted to speak to the person that knew him best. I wanted to speak to the person that was with him through some of the struggles that helped him focus and... and make some incredible moments that, you know, really shook the room, like, in the world of hip-hop, literally. Like, Pop Smoke, you know, gone too soon. Cut down in his prime too soon. So what I did for the Hip-Hop Raise Me podcast was speak to Stephen Victor. 
This is the guy who discovered him. This is the guy who managed him. This is the guy who probably knew him better than most people when it came to his artistry. So, Stephen Victor, you you've gone from being an intern. You know, you 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 worked your way up. You 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 had the audacity to say that you wanted to manage your favorite act. Then you're <laughs> popping up, and then you're working with one of the greatest artists ever, like you know any genre, and you, you, you're learning from him, you're working alongside him and the artist that you manage that you're also coming through with, he's doing the same thing, he's elevating as well at the same time. At what point are you like, I, I need to do my own label and then what came first? Was it the label or was it the discovery of Pop Smoke? Rico Beats, who was working for me, was also a producer that I used to work with that I grew up with. He brought me Pop. He was like, yo, there's this kid from our neighborhood because we're all from the same neighborhood. He's like, there's this kid from our neighborhood, Pop Smoke, you got to... I'm telling you, this kid is, he's the one. You got to meet him. We got to sign him. And that was maybe like in November or December of 2018. But I I didn't end up meeting him until maybe February of 2019. And, you know, when I met him, it was kind of, I was really meeting him as a favor to Rico. Wow. But then when I met him, I was like, like Rico would tell you when I met him, it was like a whole, a whole thing. because. You know, even to the point where when we set up the meeting, I set it up in Rico's office because I want to be able to come in, do the meeting and leave. You know, I didn't want it like in my office and it'd be awkward if I left after a short time. So we did it in Rico's office and I ended up being in there for like, you know, I want to say at least an hour. Like I was like, yo, this kid is, he's the next superstar. Wow. And then yeah. I, from that time that you met him, and then was there any track that you heard that we know today was that, you know, was Welcome to the Party done them or did that come later? You know, when I, when I met him, I don't remember him playing Welcome to the Party. He might have played it, but it wasn't, that song didn't stand out to me. What stood right. out to me is he, he had this record called PTSD. He had PTSD right. that stood out to me. He had the record Something Special that stood out to me. Um, and it was a couple other records that that are unreleased, but it, it was more it was like the combination of the songs that he was playing me, and I was just like, "Yo, this kid's incredibly talented. Like his voice is like he uses he knows how to use his voice as an instrument, and he was just it was just everything, you know." Because I, I I still don't remember "Welcome to the Party." He might have played it. He might because I I know he had it at mm. the time when I when we signed him, but I don't remember. I, I remember all the other songs, but I just knew he was, you know, he was destined for greatness. Like I knew like. You know how you just know when you yeah. meet an artist, you're like, okay, it was one of those. You heard from the manager, Stephen Victor. Let's hear from the man himself. This is what happened when I caught up with Pop Smoke. How did you manage to put the track Welcome to the Party together? Like, what oh, was, I did that? Yeah. I did, how did that happen? Right, right, so look, let me tell you. Uh, what's going on? I picked my little brother from school. You know what I'm saying? Percocet, shot of Henny. You know what I'm saying? Got some Chinese food. Be chilling. Got some Tropicana, fruit punch. You know what I'm saying? And we just in the crib. And we just think, we just talking about how my first song, NPR, hit them hard. Then he like, damn. Then he told me, man, we talking about the flexing, my flexing record, the second song I dropped, how that hit him hard. 
And then we like, damn, the ladies kind of love Meet the Woo, the third record. Mm. They like, yo, pop, what you going to drop next? They said, how you feeling? I said, I'm a thot. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, feeling slutty. Every, any, everybody can get it. Like, you know what I'm trying to show you? Yeah, yeah, nah, yeah. No, it's from G said. Everybody can get it. Like, yeah, it was some real shit. Yeah. And then it just like, hold on, what? And then that night, that night, I had went to New Apollo's with one of my vibes. You know what I'm saying? And we had got a drink. Or like a couple drinks. You know what I'm saying? But I'm so stuck. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to show you? Yeah, yeah. I'm sourced up. But I just like, shit, I'm going to die tonight. Like, get me lit. And then this old girl going to be, she hyping me up, talking about some, oh, you a thot, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, you a thot, huh? Yeah, yeah. I bet. So I just went back to 808 because that's all I knew. Right. Because it worked one, it worked worked all three times. Right. I'm hitting in the hood. So I'm like, you know what? Let's go right back to 808 type beat. I'm driving home with Shorty, put on 808 beat. And I'm like, hold on, I'm gonna die. Give me lit. I didn't even have Baby Welcome to the Party yet. I was just like, I'm gonna die. Give me lit. Hold on. Gun on hold on. Gun on my hip. Hold on. You know what I'm saying? Mm. I had that knocked down. You know what I'm saying? Already. You really had to go on your hip. Listen, man. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, cuz. <laughs> it's entertainment. It's entertainment. All right. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it was real. It was nasty around them times. Right. Had them. Mm. No more guns, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No more guns. Wolf for school. So you're driving home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a thought. I'm a hip. That's what happened next. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a thought. Get me lit. Right. Yeah, for sure, but yeah, so I'm like, I'm just, I'm just repeating it. I'm a thought, give me lip, I'm a thought, give me lip. And I'm like, wow, this shit got like a little ring to it. So I go home with Shorty. I do my ones and twos, bust her ass, you know what I'm saying? Then the next day, I'm like, let's go back to that beat right there. Like, let's right. go back to that. So I'm like, call my engineer over. Yo, what the fuck, yo? My boy, good catch. <laughs> boy. Well, yeah. I'm like, let's go back to that beat. Mm. Call my engineer over. You know what I'm saying? One, two, three. Magic. I'm telling you, straight like that. Once I just, once my engineer came over, you know what I'm saying? Smoked some, had a little drink. It was over. 30 minutes, straight shot. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Baby, welcome to the party. Hold on. I'm up the money to Zandaline. That's why I'm moving retarded. Wait. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, it just, it's just hugged the beat. It just hugged right mm. there. 30 minutes. In and out. Mm. Bow. On to the next one. Crazy. For sure. Did you think that was going to be the journey that changed your life? No. But I knew it was hard as hell. Mm. So I'm like, whenever it come out, shit finna hug. Because mm. I wasn't thinking about the masses yet. Mm. I'm thinking about my hood. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, nah, I gotta drop another one for the hood. Mm. And anything I was dropping at that time was hugging. Right. See what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm yeah. like, listen, this shit finna hug these little niggas regardless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I didn't think it was gonna be this big. Mm. An official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. 
With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov slash extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed with mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. I'm DJ Semtex. This is the Hip Hop Raise Me podcast. Listen, I talk to artists worldwide, all right? I'm not just focused on, you know, American artists. I'm not just focused on African artists or Australian artists. Like, if somebody's got a story to tell and they're getting it in and they're making great music, I need to know. I need to know what's going on. I need to know what they're about. And it's no different when it comes to my homeland, the UK. Getz is an incredible rapper, highly revered, highly successful and he's been in the game for a minute, but you know what? 2021, 2020, it was his time, man. It was his time. Giggs described music as paradise. He said it's, it's the yeah. way out for everyone. You know? Yeah, 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 100%. I, I have to agree with him. I would have to definitely agree with him, you know? Um, the opportunities that we've managed to create always seep through to other people as well around us. And beyond us, you know what I'm saying? I always want the man them to win because it's like, I know what you're doing for the economy. When people that look like us, sound like us, walk and talk like us, don't want to see another brother win, I ain't never going to understand that. I, I know that Stormzy headline in Glastonbury strengthens our economy. Mm. <laughs> I just know, like, you're, 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 you're silly if, it, if you don't think that. You know what I'm saying? All of these wins for the culture it strengthens the economy you know what i'm saying of what we are doing here you know what i'm saying it breeds more opportunities in ways that you you won't even know you know hey shout out to gets yo i'm not gonna lie this this next person you're about to hear from this this for me this was a milestone for me personally like i never thought i would be talking to this guy i never thought that you know dj Semtex would be talking to robert green the author of 48 Laws of Power. And it's fascinating that, you know, I am able to talk to him. I am able to draw the parallel between, you know, the issues of power and, you know, the concepts of power and everything and, and artists within hip hop and everything. It's, it's, it's so connected. Like, and you don't really realize until you read the books or especially until you hear Robert Greene speak about the parallels and the connection between hip hop and power. You know, as a fan of hip hop, I've seen artists go from strength to strength like really it's, it's it's fascinating to see how they've grown and you know i've i've been fortunate to witness some of these stories and examples of the the the, the rise of success firsthand you know the privilege to talk yeah. to most of these guys um but it's 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 kind of fascinating to see where it's at now like i mean talking about jay-z he's he's just gone gone clear you know is is more way more than a rapper and it's like he's 
doing things for the culture yeah. now for fun, but the moves that he's yeah. making, incredible. You know, yeah. it's crazy. So, yeah. who, from, from just from, aside from your relationship with 50 Cent and working with him and everything else, is there any other rapper where you're like, this this person is very in tune with the 48 Laws of Power? This person, is there anyone you've noticed or that you come across who else is like, you know, 10 well, out of 10? Well, uh, anecdotally, obviously, Kanye, and there was an article about Getz and how he's used the 48 Laws of Power, and I've never met him. It was very interesting and very exciting how he uses some of the laws. But then I've met and I've become friends with Drake, the rapper Drake. Um, he reached out to me, and we, similar to 50, we met in a, in a, in a restaurant, and we had a nice conversation. Uh, we recorded it, but we've never, he's never released it. It would be great one day for him to release that conversation. But um, he explained to me, you know, as, as coming from his, his background, which is different from 50s, obviously, where he's like an actor. You know, he, he, has, he certainly has street cred, but not like, like 50s. You know, he comes from a, a re reasonably more comfortable environment, not completely, but you know, I don't mean to whitewash it, but, um, and he was in the mute in the movie business as an actor on a TV show. And then to transition into, into hip hop, he's suffered. He's a sensitive guy, you know, and, and it's sort of the source of his power. I think he connects to people emotionally and he's not afraid to reveal some of his own vulnerability. And he suffered horribly in the music business early on. You know, he told me some some horror stories that I, I don't think I'm very free to share right now, but they were completely 48 laws of power. And he discovered the book a little later because his climb to success was later than fifties. I can't remember something like 06 or 07 or 08. He got the book and it really, really, really helped him. It may have helped him more than 50 because he wasn't, he, he didn't, he wasn't, he wasn't dealing drugs and streets and dealing with very nasty, difficult people. And that book really kind of anchored him and helped him deal with, with some of these people that he couldn't, in the end, couldn't really trust. And it's not just, it's not just music executives, it's fellow rappers who are often the cruelest to each other and cruelest to him. And how do you deal with that and not take it personally? And how do you deal with these, these beefs that you don't really want, et cetera? So he'd be the one. Yeah, I think the book has really helped him, and I think he's he's also another power figure who's also getting into television, etc. Listen, women in rap don't get the respect and kudos they deserve because they have to work harder than men. It's just a fact. It's like the, the, it's it's tipped against them from the beginning because there's been a lot years of misogyny. There's been years of like you know women not getting their dues not getting the respect that they should. And I think that's starting to change. I think it gets better every year. And I think every year the caliber of artists that are coming through that are taking the baton from people that have come before them are definitely changing the game and kicking doors open. Lato's one of these women in hip-hop who's doing exactly that. Go, going, going back to that lyric um, on Outcast and Miss Mulatto, you're saying I'm a little girl in a grown man business. You're a grown mm. woman in a grown man business now. Like... What's the biggest challenges you've faced, like coming into the music game as a rapper, as a woman? Is is there anything that you have to endure that people 
don't know about. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, yeah. is, is it harder? Oh, it's definitely harder. Like, I don't care what nobody say. It's definitely harder being a female in this in this music industry than male, period. I don't care if you're an artist, if you're a manager, PR, fucking sound lighting, sound or lighting. Like, I don't give a fuck. Being a female is harder. And that's not even in the music industry, just period. Like, I'm, and I'm standing on that. Like, especially what I've endured, like, child, it is, it's endless. Like, I didn't had, oh, where the fuck do I even start? I didn't had DJs like speed up my music while I'm performing, try to fuck me up. Man, crazy. I've had, um, I've had producers try to fuck with me. And I don't want to fuck with them, but we already got a song done. And I don't want to fuck with them, so now they ain't trying to clear the song. I done fucking... Every time you do a feature with a male artist... Well, not every time, but pretty much when uh, a male artist want to do a feature, they slide in the DM like, hey, I want a song. I want, let's do a song, whatever. It's like you got to question it every time to know, like, do he really want to do a song or he on some bullshit? Like... It's so, it's so much stuff, like, and I wish I could tell it, like, in detail, but, you know, I ain't trying to get nobody dragged or nothing, but it, this shit get crazy. This shit get crazy, like, and I'm nowhere near, like, my peak, so I can only imagine what, like, Nicki Minaj, Cardi B, like, what girls of that caliber, what they deal with, because I ain't even, I feel like I got my pinky toe in the door. I don't even feel like I got my whole foot in the door yet. And I'll be having to go through crazy shit. So I can only imagine what they be dealing with. But yeah, this shit get treacherous for real. How how do you endure? Like how do you how do you maintain and keep going? You know what? The best part of it to me is being able to spoil my my friends and family. Like I love when it's my little it like literally it's about to be my little sister's birthday and I went crazy for her. Like I'm so excited for her birthday. Uh, Christmas, uh, Mother's Day, things like that. Now, like, I can just go above and beyond for the people that I love. That's, like, the best part. That's what keeps me motivated. Like, I feel like I want to I wanna buy my mama a house. I want to buy my mama everything in the world. She deserves it. So that's what keeps me motivated, honestly. Like, it's not even, like, the money for me. It's really the money for them. You know what I love about hip-hop is that you never know what's going to happen. It constantly, constantly expands. It, it constantly, you know, the breadth of creativity just changes by the day. And it can come from anywhere. It really, really can. Greatness in hip-hop can come from any corner of the globe, any continent, any country. US, UK, Africa, Nigeria, Ghana. And you, you need to know about the rap legends in each country. You need to know the guys who are the pioneers, the guys who've laid the foundations, who are taking things forward and inspired future generations of artists to come through and pop off and do what they're doing now. Sakodi is one of those guys that you need to know about. Of course, I had to connect with him for the Hip Hop Raise Me podcast. What do you think? You've had a lot of success. And, and what you mean in Ghana and on the African continent. What or who is it that inspires you to level up? Who is it that, like you said, all right, you've done that goal, you've had that goal, you've achieved that goal, 
next? Like, what what is it that drives you to keep going further? Because you know you you're successful. You, you you've made money. You're making moves and everything. There's a point where you don't really need to go as hard. You know what I mean? But what is it that keeps you going? So, um, as I said, every stage and what I feel and what I see that moves me. So. One thing I can say for sure is the fans. I have cult following, which is like crazy. Most artists would 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 pay anything to have that, and that's a blessing that I have. Big up to Sack Nation. But these guys make me not think about retiring soon because they still don't want to see me as somebody. There's nothing they're gonna accept if I don't drop music. It's not gonna work. They want me to drop music. So um, yes, they definitely keep me going. And um, in Africa, I think. Taking it to the next level, I think all African artists take their hats off to Debanch. Mm-hmm. I, I always say it. I think Debanch did incredibly well in our era. He he kind of like broke that, I don't know the right word. We used to see it as fantasy. It's not possible to even get next to Beyonce or do a record with uh, Wayne or whoever. Mm-hmm. You know, like we used to think it's not. It's never going to happen. You know, we have to be just fans and just do music to our African people. And that's it. And he kind of like broke that thing and now made us feel like, yeah, we could go harder. Now, when you're doing a record, you know, it's possible that you might have a Kendrick verse. So now the whole Afrobeat is like invading. But I think I can take my hats off to him. He was a big influence. Um, But I think the more there's the fans, the fans push me to do more for myself. Sometimes you want to do other stuff, like get into some business which has nothing to do with uh, entertainment but if you come on on the socials and you see the comments and even because my fans are different they have they literally have associations and they have meetings mm-hmm. so really? they report and they tell you yeah they, they report to you and tell you this is what they want bro these guys <laughs> I th- what's today today's saturday they probably haven't yeah. won today a saturday wow. they sit they discuss on what you're supposed to do now they have a clubhouse they have conversations what's the next for soccer there are we pushing this record? Um, Sakode has to do a, a feature with this. Sakode has to do an interview with Syntex and all this. When you tweet, you can, you, I, I can, I can imagine you oh, see them, right? Yo, yo. So you, you came, you came on my show, right? Yeah. Amazing response. Made, socials went off, right? The week later, yeah. it's like you were still on the show. The week after that, <laughs> it was like you were still in the studio. Yo. Yes. Six weeks later. I'm still, I'm still, you're, you're fat. <laughs> yo, when, all right, when did you come on my show? How long, is it a few months now? Is it a couple of months? Or however yeah. Long? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Last night I was getting tweets. Play suck. Play <laughs> no pressure. Like everything else. Yo, you, okay, you got Okay, so you see, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Exactly. So they, they are really hands-on with what I do. So even when I want to slow down, they're not going to allow that to happen. So I think that's what keeps me going. And they... They push me to see the next level of soccer there. So that's at this point, that's what I can say is the fans. I deal with excellence, rap excellence. Yeah. I talk to the greatest lyricists. I talk to the greatest crews, clicks, camps, all of that. TDE is one of the hottest crews in the game. Listen, I spoke to Kendrick Lamar when he was coming through when nobody cared who he was. All right. I knew about Schoolboy Q, J-Rock and everybody else early. All right, and TDE has grown into one of the most successful, respected, um, creative clicks in the game. So when I spoke to Isaiah Rashad, I had to ask him, man, what advice would you give to people coming through? Go 110,000%. Treat that shit like, like if you respect a fucking scholar, 
and never quit your day job until you get a contract that pay more than your day job. Wow. Yearly, not just that month. That's the realest answer I've ever heard. It's dope. Yeah, ain't no point, ain't no point in just risking your life. Dummies take risks. I think the people who did this shit for real, like they boost their stories and make it sound all like fairy tale because you know the victor tells the story type of shit. But it'd be like calculated, schemey shit that <laughs> it takes somebody like to be kind of smart or at least kind of cunning to do. And then the part beyond the behind the scenes shit is then on top of that, you got to be creative. Some people don't have the time to be cunning and creative, so they get writers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And some people have the time to be both. I'm going to say it one more time, all right? I'm going to say it one more time. This is the Hip Hop Raise Me podcast with me, DJ Semsex. I don't just talk to rappers. I don't just talk to DJs, producers, journalists podcasters <laughs> writers like i talk to the guys who are the face of it literally right and and the creative the creative let me get this right the creative face of hip-hop isn't just down to the artists it's not just down to the business it's not just down to um the music all right the way that it's presented with the art is equally as important. The covers, think about every cover you've ever seen for an album. Your favorite album, you remember the artwork. You remember certain tracks by the artwork, you know, um, that struck you in any way. Whether you came through the vinyl era, the CD era, the MP3 era, or the streaming era right now, the artwork catches you because it's the iconography, it's... It's the creative ideas, it's the colours that matches the music. It draws you into the world of what that artist is doing. So I had to speak to someone who's making moves in this world, who actually creates worlds. It's a digital artist, goes by the name of Kid Eight. This guy is taking artistry to the next level. What this guy is doing with art and music, is breaking the rules, man. Changing the game. So... Towards the end of this season, this was definitely one of the dopest talks that I've done so far. And it's fascinating to hear how he's evolved and he's moving into the Web3 space. He's, he's, he's moving things forward with NFTs. And what he's doing is the blueprint for the future. The way you're going to consume music 5, 10 years, 15 years from now. He's, he's dabbling with the blueprint for what happens next. Of course I had to talk to him. Of course I had to hook up with him. And of course, I had to get Kid to break down what exactly NFTs are. So what, what was the turning point where, you know, you, you call it client work, like I'd call it mixtape work or whatever. It's like, mm. But what, what, what was the turning point? What was your first introduction to the concept of what an NFT is? Like, because it is, sorry, it, it was just like it was overnight, like, yeah overnight you switched it was just like you'd found a new lane and then i saw the post where you were saying like you know you was free and this 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 that and the other but but before you got to that point like how did you when did you first discover what an nft was so i found out about nfts it would have been literally about 12 months ago now like end of november beginning of december and my friend uh television shout out 
we were doing like music visualizers at the time. Like, so, you know, when you got on YouTube before the, yeah, yeah, like yeah. before, yeah, yeah. So we were doing the 3D visualizers mm. um, and he, he brought me on a couple of jobs. We did um, Pop Smokes, uh, Shoot for the Stars, Roll Out. We did Young Dolph, Rest in Peace, Rich Lay. We did um, Sway Lee, Dance Like No One's Watching. So we were doing all these things and we were using our talents to create basically what an NFT was, but we were giving them to artists for silly amounts of money, like next to nothing. And he was just said, there's this thing called NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And it's just a way of uh, selling your art on the blockchain. It's all like certified. And I was like, okay, I sort of got the idea of it. But then he showed me what some of these pieces were selling for. And like some of the artists that were doing it, we knew. And I knew personally, I was like, right, okay, I need to look more into this. So I did some research and found out that at the time there were certain platforms that were more prestige than others. And there was ways of doing it. But I just started trying to like, get my art out there. So separating myself from client work and just creating stuff that I wanted to um, and just seeing if anyone was fucking with it and if anyone wanted to collect it or see it as like a valuable asset. So I just started creating um, just daily renders and bits and pieces, putting them on Instagram. And then I found out soon after the like, Instagram at the time was dead for NFTs. Like there was no one collecting NFTs. They didn't really understand what it was. So someone said Twitter was like banging for NFTs. Everyone was on Twitter, was collecting, and that was the best way to meet collectors. So joined Twitter and just started making connections with other artists in the space and collectors and uh, speculators. And from there, I sold my, I sold my first NFT in January this year for 0.25 ETH, which right. at the time, I don't even know what it was at the time, but it was a lot more than I'd made from a cover in a while. And then that week I had four more sales and I think I made, I made like two ETH the first two weeks of selling NFTs. And it was just like a gradual progression of like stepping my art up, getting more known, getting more collectors until the point where my work's in demand now. Like I, I've got, um, I did a generative drop in the summer, 8,888 of this uh, evil character. And I've got a, a drop coming um, the 30th with Nifty Gateway, which is owned by the Winklevoss brothers, you know, the guys that were in Facebook early. Yeah. So yeah, it's like I've built my name up to a point now where people are waiting for me to drop. People want to collect my art because they know it's valuable and it'll go up. So yeah. So that's it. Done. Finished. Lock off. 52 episodes of greatness. Hip Hop Raise Me, season three, season four, on the way i'm going to be doing things totally different i'm going to be i'm not even going to say too much i'm not even going to say too much but 2022 we're going to be back harder faster stronger all of that i've got to give a big shout out to everybody involved who's been helping to make each episode happen shout out to nikita shout out to mathami shout out to edgar and most importantly shout out to yourselves you the listener because without you guys listening giving me feedback letting me know what's popping what isn't popping like what you want to hear like I, I couldn't do this and you know I, I i learn things from every episode every chapter that i do of this and i hope you do too shout out to all of the artists all of the guests who graciously given up their time um to take part in these talks and 2022 let's go man let's go <laughs>